0: Well, I didn't want to pray for them. It was too hard. The memories were too tough. The events that had taken place in my life just seemed too hard to get over. And honestly, I just didn't want to pray for these people because I felt justified in my anger. I felt justified in my hurt. And so what I I did is for a very long time, I, I stopped praying. And then not only that, I didn't pray for others, but... I began to be so distracted by my own needs in my life. I began to be so distracted by the things that I was struggling with that I had a hard time praying for other people. And it was when I finally realized some of the power of prayer that this isn't all about me, but it's also about others and the power that prayer has in the lives of ourselves and others that I realized I had missed something along the way. And really part of my healing in my life was missed because I was unwilling to pray for these people and others. And maybe you're in this room and there's those people in your life. There's those moments in your life. There's those people that, man, it's just hard to pray for them. It's hard to ask for God's blessing and anointing and forgiveness in their life. And you struggle and struggle and struggle. And so today, what I want us to do is to really look at the way that Jesus prayed for other people. The way that Jesus exemplified for you and I the way that we are to pray for others. And I know that this can be a hard moment and time together and painful as we think about some of the people that we need to be praying for. But Jesus gives us such a beautiful model of how we pray for others. And I really believe this. If you begin to pray for other people, you will see things in your own life change. You will begin to see some of the things you struggle with, some of the things that that go on in in your life change. And I think you'll be led to action. And I think you'll be led to get kind of outside of your own mind and out of your own worries as you intercede for others. And so as I was thinking about this this week, a movie came to mind that came out. um, It's called Onward. And this movie is about these two young men, this family these two brothers essentially, and their dad dies when they're really young. And their dad passed away to the point where the older brother was young, but the younger brother in the story was a baby when their dad passed away. And I mean, it's a, you know, like a Disney fanciful film. And so there's this um, kind of moment where they can bring, they have this opportunity to bring their dad back for one day. One day they can bring their dad back and they can, get to know him, talk to him, talk about their life, and and really for the younger brother to meet him for the very first time. And so this movie kind of, it, it has some very interesting uh, dilemmas that go on because they, they start to, the dad comes back kind of just halfway, just his lower half comes back, right? It's just his legs. And so the rest of the movie is them trying to figure out a way And get to this thing that they need to in order to bring him back all the way. But they only have one day. And once half a dad showed up, then the the, the time is running out. There's no second chance here. And maybe you feel like kind of that in your life. Like you're trying to see something or bring something to fruition. Or there's a business opportunity. Or there's something going on in your life. And you feel like, man, this is the only opportunity that I have. So you become so focused on yourself during that season that we begin to forget about others. And so in this movie, what happens is is, um, they are kind of fighting for and going after obstacle after obstacle to bring their dad back. And the younger brother in the movie um, writes down this list of things that he wants to do with his dad that day. Just like he gets one day with his dad, so he writes down this list. And, I mean, it's pretty heartwarming what he writes down. He writes this. He wants to play catch with his dad. Uh, I don't play catch. That's what they wrote in the movie. It's you have a catch. I don't know if playing, it's not a game. Anyway, so um, he wants to take a walk with his dad. He wants to have a heart-to-heart conversation. He wants to laugh together. He wants driving lessons. And he wants to share his life with him, what's been happening in his life. And so he writes down this list. And as the day is progressing, he's having to prioritize his list and going, you know, Maybe we won't be able to have a catch, but maybe I'll still be able to have a heart to heart. And kind of as he's fighting through this day, the things that are really important to him are being distracted and taken away from because he's having to serve and be with other people and make it through these obstacles. And I feel like for a lot of us, that's what our prayer life can feel like as we're praying for other people. It's like we have all of these needs in this list of needs that we have that we want to talk to God about. But man, the the text comes in or this person comes to mind and it feels like sometimes while we're praying for others, our needs aren't really being met. And so we do one of two things. We, we, We either stop praying altogether or we stop praying for others. And I think Jesus wants to show us a little bit of what he can do as we pray for other people. And in the the Bible today where we're going to be we're going to hunker down in John 17 a lot. We're actually going to read the basically the whole chapter. But Jesus really prays for three types of people. There's three types of people that Jesus specifically prays for in the New Testament that give us cues of who we should be praying for of who we should add to that prayer list that we should have uh, together. In fact, I was inspired as I was thinking about this. Um, one of the co-founders of uh, or the founder of Liberty, his name was Dr. Jerry Falwell, and he prayed for a ton of people. He was a real prayer warrior. And uh, we were talking to him one time. and We said like, how do you remember to pray for all these people? He said he had subway tiles in a shower and he in his shower had like that tile represents Blake. That tile represents my kids. That tile represents my family. This tile represents the church. This tile represents this lost person. And while he was showering, he would pray and he would put his hand on every tile in the shower that represented somebody else. And he would spend his time praying for people and being reminded of the importance of prayer. And he gave us some insight into how that changed his life. If you have your Bible with you, open up to John 17. Now, let me catch you up on where we are in the story. Jesus is getting ready to, to, he's served and loved people. And then he prays this prayer and then he's going to be arrested. We're in the last day of Jesus's life as we're entering into the story. And Jesus, in John 17, is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. It's this full-on prayer that Jesus has as he's getting ready to go to the cross. Now, what's really incredible about this prayer is at the beginning, he asked for some things for himself, but the rest of the prayer, the majority of the prayer, is him praying for others. And I don't know about you, but if I was getting ready to go to the cross, if I was getting ready to experience the most agonizing moment that a human could really experience in this time, I would be praying for me. Like that would be my focus. It would be me, right? And so what happens and and I'm, I'm I'm praying for me and then my family, and then you guys probably aren't making it in, okay? But the reality is, is that's how I'm praying. But Jesus shows something so different in John 17 about where his mind goes, While he's praying for others. Look at what the Bible says. John 17. We're just going to read the story. This is Jesus. He enters in right here uh, with this. After Jesus said this. He looked up to heaven and prayed. Father the hour has come. Glorify your son. That your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people. And he might give eternal life to those that you have given him. Now. Now. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on this earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He continues on to say this. "I I, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. This is talking specifically about the disciples. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you have sent me, that you sent me. I pray for them. Right there, I pray for them. Verse 9. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given to me. For they are yours. All I have is yours. And all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer. I'm getting ready to check out. But they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Man, that's maybe a word for us that there's unity and protection in the body of Christ. That we are unified together as a family. And there's protection in that. While I was with them, I protected them. And I've kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction. So the scripture may be fulfilled. That's Judas. I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world. So that they may have the full measure of joy. Within them, that they may have this this overwhelming joy that comes from Christ. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer, here it is again, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth of your word. For your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And then the prayer expands here. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That would be us. Right here, that verse includes you and I. We have heard the message of these disciples and these apostles, and we have heard the good news of Jesus Christ as they have testified to his goodness in the cross. And so we are the people that Jesus is praying for right now, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Oh, this is big. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, talking about heaven, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. It's a pretty incredible prayer where Jesus begins to talk to God about not just this moment of glorification and understanding about what is about to happen on the cross and subsequently three days later at the empty grave. But this is a prayer where Jesus goes from him to what? To us. He starts to pray for believers. He starts to pray for those who will know him. And so the very first group of people that Jesus prays for are his friends and family. He's praying for those that are close to him. He's praying for those who believed in him and, and those who, who will continue in this message, in this lineage, in this family of faith. But I want you to notice some things that Jesus prayed for you and I. He first prayed for our protection. He doesn't pray. He even says it. I'm not praying that they get out of the world. I'm praying you'll protect them in the world. I'm praying that the way that they deal with suffering and trials and all of these things, you will protect them. But that people will know that they are my disciples because of the way that they deal with this. I'm asking for protection. I'm asking for you to watch over them. I'm asking for you to guard them and sanctify them in this moment. But not only is he praying for protection, but he's praying for provision. Hey, Give them everything that they're going to need. Verse 10, look at what the Bible says here. He begins to talk and he says, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And he basically says, and everything that I have, I've given to them. And so what he's saying is, is, I'm praying that all protection, all provision comes from you and goes to them. That everything that they need in this world will be theirs. But there's a caveat. It's not just so that you and I can build our own kingdoms. It's so that we can build his kingdom that everything that they will need in order to spread this good news around the world that they'll have, that everything that they'll need to continue the mission of going forward into the world and telling about what I'm about to accomplish will be theirs, and you'll protect them in the process of this. In fact, this prayer in John 17 is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. What the high priestly prayer was is once a year, the high priest of the Jewish people would enter the Holy of Holies. And what he would do is he would make atonement or a sacrifice for the sins of the people so that they could be forgiven. One man went in and made this sacrifice. Jesus is about to not only go and, and make this sacrifice, he is the sacrifice. And so this prayer is similar to a prayer that would be prayed in the Holy of Holies. Jesus is signifying to them, I'm going to get ready to do something incredible for you, which is to take care of you. This cross isn't for me, it is for you. And I'm here to take care of you and to watch over you. So he prays for protection and provision. But he prays that that protection and that provision will produce three things in you and me. That it will will produce in us this supernatural perseverance. Right, so we'll get into a little bit of theology. When you believe in Jesus and confess him as Lord and Savior, we refer to this as being saved. This is church words, but it means like I trust in Jesus. I believe in him. Something incredible happens. The moment that you believe in Jesus, that he lived for you, he died in your place, and he rose again to show victory over sin and death, the Bible says that you're declared holy, that you are declared justified, that you have been justified. Then, but we all know, like, how many of you still struggle with some things in your life even after you believed in Jesus? Well, there's this process that happens that we use this word called sanctification. It means that we are being made into the image of Jesus in our time here on earth. And then when we get to heaven, there's this thing called glorification. We are totally new. But what Jesus is praying for is not the beginning, not the justification. He's already going to secure that in just a few hours. And he's not praying for the glorification for the believers because they will be glorified one day. What Jesus prays for is the provision of sanctification. Lord, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask for them and their perseverance in this world that they continue to be formed into my image. That they'll continue to be like me. This is exactly what Jesus says in verse 17 and 18. He asks for our sanctification. What he's saying is, is, Lord, please keep them moving down the field. Please keep them and start them and, and walk with them as they continue to be more like me. Because I know that there's freedom. The more that you become like Jesus, the more ex- freedom you will experience in this world. And so he asked for this perseverance of their faith. But not only that, in verse 13, he says what? Well, I'm praying for their joy. That my joy, which the world cannot take away, that the world cannot get rid of, would be in them. And so, like, let me just tell you something. Jesus doesn't just want you to be happy. He wants you to be joyful. If he was just here to secure your happiness, the prayer would be different. It would be, take them out of this place. But he wants our joy. He wants us to find the sustaining work of God in our life. And that the joy that we experience in God supersedes and circumvents the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Anybody in here watch sports? Okay, anyone watch sports on replay? Well, I I don't. I've gone back and watched games on replay, but I already know the score. So you know what the game isn't? It's not a trial. I know what's going to happen. That is what you and I would have joy in. We know the end of the story. So, yes, the ups and downs of life and all of these things in in life, yes, they are hard, and they, they may take happiness away, but joy is knowing where we will be and who we will be with, and so the story, the middle of it, yes, it's hard to deal with, but it doesn't rob us of who we really are and where we're really headed. We know the end of the game. That's a joy which surpasses understanding. That's the joy of Jesus. Because why can Jesus even be joyful in this moment? He knows the joy that is set before him. And it's not the happiness of the cross, but it's the joy of what the cross will accomplish. He models it for you and I. Like, look, I am not happy about what's going to happen. He even says, man, I'm sweating blood. And man, if this cup could pass me, could it? This is hard. It's not like Jesus was like in the garden skipping around like, hey, this is exciting, man. Some big things are about to happen. But what does Jesus say? For the joy that is set before me, what is going to come? I can endure these things. I can deal with these things. And you can't take that kind of joy from you. Do you have that kind of joy in your life? It might change the way that you pray for others when you realize that those who hurt you, that those who come against you, that those are hard people in your life, your joy is before you. That this trial and things that you're facing with other people in your life, they're temporary and there's a greater joy that's coming. And so now you can start praying for other people because your happiness and your joy is not predicated on them. It's a newness. And then finally, what else does he pray for? He prays for unity. He prays that we would be one people. Let's just do a little self heart check, guys. How are we doing? How are we doing about not just in bedrock? But how are we doing with the church across the street? How are we doing with the church down the road? How are we doing with, with all of these other churches that we find ourselves with in the world? Are we jealous? Are we angry? Are we uh, prideful because our church is better? Our worship is better? Our preaching is better? Our, we don't have all those weird people. We don't have all those angry people. Well, no one's hurt me here yet, so we're better than them. Does that sound like a unified family? Are we gossiping about other churches here? Are we, did you hear what happened there? Did you hear what happened here? Are we gossiping and tearing down the body of Christ? Let me tell you something. The body of Christ, the people here, until we get to glorification will never be perfect. And you're robbing the beauty of Jesus's love for us when you try to make everyone perfect. The beauty is he loves imperfect people. That's real love. That's the beauty of what it is. And and he says, look, I'm praying that they'll persevere, they'll be sanctified. I'm praying that they will have joy, and I am praying that they will be one. Why? Because the world will know that they're my people because of their love for one another. And it's it's an invitation for us to look at others and go, man, those people, they're unified. Those people, Christians, they love each other. They take care of each other. Let me just tell you something that's grieved me over the past few weeks. Everyone's heard about the Asbury revival. If you haven't, it was a revival that was taking place on the campus of of a college. And what I started to see was a lot of videos critiquing the revival and critiquing them and not celebrating that God's doing something. And I thought, man, that doesn't seem like unity of the body. I mean, because, like, the reality is, is even if everyone wasn't authentic there, even if everything wasn't 100% for everybody real, somebody experienced revival. People got saved. People got baptized. Young people are singing to the Lord. I mean, it looks like at times in that room, it was rivaling concerts of the world. Should we not celebrate that? Should we not, like, be joyful and hope for the best and do all of these things? It's like... Uh, someone asked me, what do you do when people raise their hand in church to be saved? I rejoice and I pray that that's real and I'm not going to critique it. I'm going to be excited. Oh, did they really? Did you see what they did when they walked out in the parking lot? They believed, but then they lit up a cigarette. <laughs> okay, well, all right. Don't you know? It's like, well, we're all works in progress, aren't we not? Why can't we celebrate those things? See, I think one of the greatest things the enemy has done to us to keep us from the mission of God is to cause us to infight. And here's what I'm going to tell you. We can have preferences. We can have preferences. We can have different styles of worship. We can have different, like, things going on that are peripheral within the Christian faith. And we can celebrate and love one another and honor one another in those things. If the fundamentals of the faith, of what it really means to be a Christian, are there, we should work together. We should, we should. This is what Jesus is praying for. And I find it funny that Jesus prays for the unity of his people. He must know that there's gonna be some problems coming. And what has the enemy always done? He's always gone in and caused disunity. It's like the oldest play in the book, right? You go back to Genesis in the garden. What does he do? He separates them from God, disunity and one another. And so Jesus here prays for his people that what? that they will come together. And it's all for something. It's all for us to be the church that tells the world about our risen Savior. It has purpose. And how many people in this world are looking for purpose? How many of you in this room, you're trying to figure out purpose? I can tell you your purpose. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ in this room, I know your purpose. Here's what it is. To glorify God, to honor him, and to spread his good news. That's it. Now, how you're going to do that, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to do it at your business. I don't know if you're going to do it at a school. I don't know if you're going to just have block parties in your neighborhood. But I know that as a Christian, we're all called to the same thing. We have the same purpose, to glorify God, to love and honor him, and to spread the good news, the gospel. That's it. That's the mission of his people. That's the family business. And so I know that. Now, I know that there's some things that we can really identify in here that aren't your purpose. Right? Like if you're like, I, I think God might be calling me a be a drug dealer or a pastor. I'm not sure. I'm like, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things seems more godly than the other. We can probably eliminate one. God doesn't want you to be the holiest drug dealer in the world, right? Okay. Like, we know this. But I think what's really important here is Jesus is pr- praying for provision, protection, for perseverance, for unity, for joy, for his mission and not ours. For his mission, not ours. And I want to ask each one of us when you're praying, are you praying for his kingdom to come or your kingdom to be done? What kingdom are you praying for? And this is where we all fool ourselves. We all say this. Well, God, like, if you help me grow my little kingdom, I'll help grow your big kingdom. There are so many guys that I knew in seminary that when we got out of seminary, I'd say, like, well, what are you going to do? They're like, I'm going to go start a business. I'm going to make millions of dollars. And I was like, I think you went to the wrong graduate school. And they're like, well, no, no, no. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to go make millions of dollars and then I'm going to sow it into the kingdom. Then I'll be a pastor. I just got to make sure my kingdom's okay. Then I'll make sure his is growing. And I thought, no, you have your priorities wrong. There's a, actually a parable about this in the Bible. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. Not add all of these things to you and then go after God's kingdom. And so the blessing in the prayer is not for our kingdoms, but his. That we would grow, that we would persevere, that we would walk inside. And that's exactly what the mission of Bedrock is. What What do we want to do? We want to help bring God to people and people to God in every single part of their life. We are about his kingdom business. And whether it's in this building or another building or not a building, we're on mission. This is not creating for us a Bedrock brand. That's not what we're into here. If you want to grow Bedrock brand, go grow another brand. We're here, we're on team Jesus and his kingdom, and we're just doing our part in the kingdom. And so what happens for you and I is this is his mission and not ours. And why is that so important? Because his kingdom and his mission is so much greater than ours. Right? Let me tell you about his kingdom and about what it's going to be like. But the fruit of the spirit is this, Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sounds like a good kingdom, doesn't it? And so the reason that God's not into growing your little kingdom is because his kingdom is so much greater. And in his kingdom, you can do your part, but you will find love, joy, peace, kindness, forbearance, self-control. All of these things, you'll find the good life. When everyone asks me, what's Galatians 5.22, everyone says the fruit of the spirit. I say, it's the good life. It's really the life we're all trying to build, but it's a kingdom that he has established. And so you and I have to get on work with him. And so Jesus does pray for you and I, but the prayer isn't that they'll, we'll be happy. The prayer isn't like any of these things. It's that we will be equipped, that we will be trained, that we will go, and we will be part of his kingdom in this world, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. That's what he's doing. He's saying, I'm about to go establish that good news. I'm about to pay for it. The bill's going to be paid in full. All you guys have to do is tell the world about what's happened to you and what I did for you. And that's his prayer for those that he loves. Why would he pray that for those that he loves? Because he truly knows the joy that's in it. Some of us in here are like wondering why we don't experience the fullness of the Christian life. But everything in your Christian life is about you. And you go, man, why am I not experiencing this fullness? Because he didn't build a kingdom around you. He built a kingdom around him. And we are part of that kingdom. And the moment that we move our eyes and move our sight from who the real king is, is the moment we get in trouble. Because let me just tell you something. We are not built to be worshipped. You're like, well, I don't know about that. Really? Just look at celebrity culture. Does it seem like those kings are doing very well? Does it seem like those queens and kings and their kingdoms and their, all of these things, that those things last very well? Do their marriages last very long? Do they seem very happy? Uh, you know, I don't know many people who are escaping life through drugs when their life is really awesome. And so what happens here is like, do you really realize we are not meant to be worshipped, but we want to be? And so Jesus says, I'm not going to pray for that. I'm not going to pray for your little kingdom to grow so that it will take you away from mine. Why? Because I love you. Because I love you and I know what's best for you, I'm not going to pray this for you. I'm not going to do this for you because I love you. I mean, parents understand this. How many of you give your kids everything that they want? You're like, Your kid right before dinner is like, you know what? I would really love to have six cookies. And you're like, you know what? It's about you. Go ahead. All of us would go, you're not a good parent, right? We'd be like, you're not a good parent because they ate all this junk and missed everything else that was good. But you think it's loving, but sometimes loving people for what they want is actually hurting them in the end. So why would our father in heaven do that for you and I? His prayer is what is for best, not second best. And so what happens here is Jesus opens up these prayers and he goes, look, I'm praying for those who are close to me. And my prayers for those who are close to me is for what is best for them. It's for what's best. But then Jesus moves on to a second group of people. And we kind of skip ahead in the story a little bit. We find ourselves not before the cross, but at the cross. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. These words are profound and incredible. Father... Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they immediately divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus has just been hung on the cross in this story. The soldiers at his feet have begun to tear apart his clothes and are rolling dice essentially for who's going to get them. Not only that, but the people in the crowd start mocking Jesus. Hey, if you're really the king of kings and lord of lords, why don't you just get down off the cross? Hey, if you're really the one who's done all these things, why don't you just get down? They spit on him, they mocked him, they whipped him, and and they're going to kill him. And what is Jesus' prayer for them? It's not what the sons of Zebedee said, smoke these guys. Right? That's the sons of Zebedee. They, They came against you, let's smoke them. Jesus says what? Let's forgive them. Do you know that what Jesus is praying over his enemies, his foes right there, that's the second group of people that we pray for our foes, is blessing? Because what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is blessing. What is Jesus really praying for for those who are against him? How do we receive forgiveness? We believe in that moment that he's hanging on that tree. So what is Jesus saying? I'm praying, God, that you'll help them know me. And that they will know the work that I am accomplishing right now. And that you will forgive them. And the only way that they receive forgiveness for their sins is through me. Can you imagine how beautiful that is? That his greatest enemies who are mocking him while he's hanging in agony near death. He was scourged so many times. He was scourged one time less than death. And he's on the cross and People are making fun of him. And all he can do is pray that they're forgiven. And man, I just think about that story I started with where it was like, I couldn't pray for people because, man, what they did was so bad. And then I read this, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I mean, even like this week, I I had, you know, a hard time because like, Have you guys ever been painted in a light that's not really who you are? Okay, okay, let me ask that again. Anybody in here ever been painted in a light with not who you really are? We had a person this week tell us that um, bedrock is full of rich people because of the cars in the parking lot. And the pastor drives a Mercedes. I don't. I drive a Ford. Okay. (laughs) But a friend of mine was selling a Mercedes. And he works full time. And so he said, hey. Hey. Will you drive this around so I can get some like exposure? Like if I go to a parking lot, like you're, you're just driving around more than I am. Can you do that? And I thought, if you only knew what my paycheck was, if you really only knew what was going on. And as I felt bitterness and anger towards that situation, Luke 23, 34, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, Lord, forgive them. They don't even know what they're saying. They don't even know the context of this. They they didn't even know that I was just helping a friend by driving a car so he could sell it. Like, Lord, please. And you see how, like, all of a sudden, all of these things about who we are as a people of God I don't care what cars are in the parking lot. I care about more the people that we're helping outside the parking lot. I care more about the people we're helping in the house. I don't care what cars are out there. I want to be a generous church, a church who loves people. And, And I got so angry. And then I remembered, Jesus prayed for those who were against him. I need to pray. I need to pray. I need to forgive. I need to ask for forgiveness for them. Listen to what this one commentator said. This is the first of the Lord's seven sayings from the cross. Jesus says seven things while he is hanging on the cross. This is the very first thing that he said. Look at what it says. One might expect that he would pronounce judgment on those mocking him who were committing the ultimate act of blasphemy. Instead of seeking vengeance on his enemies... And this is a quote here from 1 Peter 2.23. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Christ's intercession on behalf of his tormentors is yet another fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah 53.12. Listen to this. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors the two people hanging on the crosses beside him for he bore the sin of many and made what intercession for the transgressors he prayed for those who were against him it goes all the way back to isaiah 53 which is the prophecy of the suffering servant Christ's petition was in one sense a general prayer revealing that there is no sin against the Son of God so severe that it cannot be forgiven for those who repent. If forgiveness is available for those who crucified him, it is available for anyone. Jesus signifies in his most agonizing moment as he prays for those who are persecuting him, who are coming against him for forgiveness, that should send you and I a message. That if he can forgive them and he can love them, he can love you. He can love you. And you're like, man, I don't know about this. Matthew 5, 43 to 46. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Jesus showed exactly his money was where his mouth was when he prayed for those who are persecuting him on the cross. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Jesus says you want to be divine. You want to like walk in the presence and, and, and show the power of God in this life. To pray for your enemies and love those who hate you. That is godly. For, to love those who love you, there's no reward in that. And so Jesus does what? He prays for his enemies. He prays for his foes on the cross. And for a lot of us, this is really important. Because here's what happens. When we have enemies that we see uh, against us in our life, a lot of us are controlled by them. We've talked about this a lot in, in the house. When we have enemies, we kind of put ourselves in the jail cell and they're our jailer. The people who hurt us the most, the people who are against us the most. And because of hurt and anger and desperation and all of these things that enter our life, we kind of lock ourselves in a jail cell and we hand them the key. Let me just tell you a little secret about prayer. It is really hard to hate people you pray for. Let me say that again. It is very hard for you to hate, and not hard, it's impossible, for you to hate people you pray for. Because in the process of praying for people, in the process of doing these things, you let yourself out of the jail, forgiveness is offered, and you walk forward in joy. Praying for those enemies is not letting them off the hook. But it's choosing to release what you're owed. It's choosing to release the key to your forgiveness and let that go and put it in the hands of God. And you walk out of that cell and you are now free. And then there's this third group of people that Jesus prays for. But he shows it right before he's going to go to the cross and he's going to show the power of prayer and the power of how we receive the Lord because Jesus prays for the lost. We're going to get to a story about this guy named Lazarus in John chapter 11. Anyone know who Lazarus is? All right, let me tell you a little story about Lazarus. He's a friend of Jesus. Jesus is in another town far away, and while he's in that town, it's revealed to him that Lazarus is really sick. In fact, the sickness is indicated in the text that it's going to kill him. And Jesus says, hey, guys, don't worry, this sickness is not going to end in death, don't worry. And so they stay for a couple days in this town, and then he's like, hey, let's make our way to go see Lazarus now. On their way, it's reported to them that Lazarus has died. He died basically four days ago. And everyone's like, why did we wait? Why didn't we go? And when Jesus gets there, Mary and Martha are there. This is their brother. And they both tell Jesus, hey, we know that if you would have been here, he would be okay. That he would be healed. We know that. But you weren't here. And then Jesus starts telling them, like, no, you're going to see your brother again. And they're like, I know. I'll see him in heaven. I know. We'll see him one day. And Jesus is like, no, you're going to see him again. And it's like flying over their head. Has God ever like promised or said something to you that you thought was impossible? Everyone say fourth day. Everyone say it again. Fourth day. This is really, really important because the text is telling us something here that makes this not just a miracle but an impossibility. See, in Jewish culture at the time, it was believed that if someone died, that you could, that they could technically resurrect or come back to life within three days. Within three days, they could come back. It was this old tradition that held that the soul of a person hung around after someone's body physically died for three days. But on the fourth day, the soul departed and resurrection was impossible. What day was it? Fourth day. Do you think Jesus showed up on the fourth day on purpose? So Jesus showed up on the most impossible day. The day that dead things don't come back to life. Are you on the fourth day? Are you in the fourth day in your own life right now? Are there people in your life that you're scared to pray for, for their salvation because you think it's impossible, because you think they're fourth day people? And because you want to let God off the hook, you pray Prayers that aren't specific or you pray safe prayers. Anyone in here pray safe prayers so you, you don't get God on the hook? Well, you know, I need 100 bucks, but 10 would do. <laughs> but if you don't want to give me anything, that's fine too. You don't need to pray to let God off the hook. God's going to do exactly what needs to be done, perfectly, holy, securely, and in a good way. You don't need to let God off the hook. Some of us in here need to start praying dangerous prayers. Some of us in here need to start praying big prayers. Some of us in here need to start asking God for some big things. And that's exactly what Jesus shows us in the story of Lazarus. I'm praying for the impossible. I'm fourth day kind of praying. I'm fourth day kind of people praying here and I'm going to show you that I have the keys. I have the power over life and death. I have the power of impossibility for with God nothing is impossible. And so Jesus prays for the lost. Let's look at what the text says here. John 11:41. 41. So they took away the stone. Jesus says, get that stone out of here. Then they looked up. Then Jesus looked up and said, he's praying, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I'm thanking you that your power, you've heard what I've said here thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me because I'm also gonna show up in a grave for three days. And maybe some of them will remember, but Lazarus was in the grave for four. And so what happens here is this, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice the power of the word of God. Lazarus come out and the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now I want you to notice what the next part of the next verse is. If you have a heading in your Bible, it says this, the plot to kill Jesus. (laughs) Right after Jesus does exactly the impossible, they want to kill him. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and what? Believed. One man didn't get saved that day. Many got saved by seeing God do the impossible because Jesus prayed and went after the lost. Where are you in your life? What's dead in your life? What do you think it's fourth day? What do you think isn't going to happen? What do you think is impossible? Are you scared to pray dangerous prayers because you don't want to be disappointed? But if you don't do this, if you don't engage, if you don't walk into it, you're already kind of accepting the no. And so pray big prayers. Pray for fourth day kind of people. Pray for fourth day kind of moments where you don't think anything could happen. But as I ended this message and I looked at all of this, something Something was revealed to me in the story. See, I'll go back to that story on Onward. As you get towards the end of the movie, the youngest son is sitting there. The sun's getting ready to set, so the day's about to end. And when he does that, he starts crossing things off of his list that are impossible. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. But then what he realized is while he was contending for others, everything that he needed that day that he asked for was fulfilled. As he contended for others, as he prayed for others, all of his needs were met as well. Everything that he prayed for, everything that he was asking for in that moment was realized. And here's what I realized. Every way that we are to pray for others is exactly the type of prayer that we needed. Every single way that we are to pray for others in this life is exactly what we need needed to be prayed for. And let me just go a little bit further. Yes, your name is not in the Bible, but Jesus prayed for you. For what? We were once lost. We were fourth day kind of people. We were those who did not know the Lord. We were dead spiritually. This is what the Bible refers to us as. And yet the call of God called us back to life. That we are a resurrected people, for we were spiritually dead in Jesus prayed, and brought us, and called us, and equipped us, and did all of these things. He does the work, guys. We're just accepting it. We're receiving the work that Jesus does. But not only that, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of God, what? Jesus died for the ungodly. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for his enemies. And it means that if you and I are not saved, the Bible refers to us as enemies of God. I was an enemy of God, that there was part of my life where I was against him. And here's what this means. If you're not for him, you're against him. You don't have to be actively like trying to tear down the kingdom. And I really realized that I was lost without hope and I was an enemy that needed saving and Jesus did it. And then now I realize this even more. Now that I am a son adopted by the father, that he's praying for my protection and my provision, and my unity with the body of Christ, and that I would have joy, and that I would persevere to the end of the race that he has set before me. So did you ever really realize that if you're in this room, God's prayed for you? If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus as Savior, he's pursuing you. If you're in this room and you're an enemy of God, and you were walking away from him, and you were maybe even actively going against what he would say, Jesus prayed for people like that. And if you're a son or daughter in here, do you really realize the things that Jesus asked for for you? And so as we get ready to finish this series, as we pray for others, what you really will begin to realize is is everything that you need will be taken care of. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. And how do we seek the kingdom of God now? We pray. And so as we get ready to end, Danielle is going to sing. But as a son or daughter, if you've believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in this room, there's protection, there's provision, there's joy, there's unity, there's perseverance, all for his mission, all for what he's called you to do in this kingdom. Christianity is a participator sport. But if you're in this room and you mean like, I've been actively against God. I've been actively away from him. I've actively worked against what God has for me in this world and what he's trying to do. There's no way that God could love me. Luke 23, 34 is a place where Jesus models that he prays for those who persecute him. He prays for those who come against him. He seeks his enemies. And if you're in this room and you don't know God, then maybe today. Through this series, through this message and through the teaching of God's word, the Holy Spirit is intervening on your behalf and has rolled away the stone of your heart. And Jesus is calling you home and calling you out and bringing you to him. Lazarus had to get up. Are you ready in your heart to get up and follow God? Are you ready to receive what he's done for you? Are you ready to believe in this moment that Jesus lived for you and he died for you and he rose again to conquer not just the world's sin and death, but yours too? And that you as a son or daughter can be adopted and called home and enter the arms of the father and be with him the rest of your life. And how do we receive that blessing? We pray. And so would you join me in praying? Father, we love you. We are so thankful for you. And so, Lord, I pray that your sons and daughters in the room and listening online are emboldened today. For there's protection and provision and joy and unity and peace and perseverance as they pursue you and pursue this kingdom that you are building and they play their part in telling the world about who you are. And if there's people listening right now that were enemies and they have guilt over that and they have shame over those things, that there's freedom that you prayed for a turning, you prayed for an anointing, and there's nothing so heinous that can hinder us from coming to you. And Lord, I pray right now, if there's anybody in this room or in the sound of my voice right now, that Lord, they are a Lazarus that they were dead in their sin and their trespasses, but you have rolled away the heart, the stone of their heart, and you are speaking to them right now. And you are saying to them, come all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, give me your burden, believe in me, trust in me, and what I did for you on that cross, for your sins were hung there and I paid for them. And that I pray right now, Lord, they're not fourth day kind of people now, they're resurrected kind of people now. Because Lord, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that you are Lord and Savior, your word promises that we will be saved. And so Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room or listening right now, that they would respond to your call and they would respond to your spirit and they would step out of that grave in faith and walk towards you and believe in you and trust in you and their life will be changed. And God, I pray for every person in this room, just in a blessing and anointing of the truth of this. And Lord, I pray they start praying for those hard people. I pray they start praying those dangerous prayers. I pray that they start asking you for big things. I pray that they start believing you for the impossible. And Lord, I pray that their life with you, the way that they speak to you in prayer changes forever because of this series and because of this moment. And so Lord, please just help us remember this. Please help us to remember what you've said here as we continue to walk after you. God, we love you. We thank you in Christ's name and now we worship you.